But let us to business, gentlemen. Tell me, why did you print that article? There isn't a word in it that isn't libelous. In my opinion, therefore, gentlemen, you have acted shabbily. Look here, my dear sir, this is, this is, this came all at once from the excited visitors. As regards the article, Hippolyte seized shrilly on the point, as regards this article, I've already told you that neither I nor the others approve of it. It was he who wrote it. He indicated the boxer sitting next to him. It was wretchedly written, illiterate, and in retired serviceman's style, that much I admit. He's stupid and an opportunist, too, I agree. I tell him that to his face every day. But he was half right all the same. Free expression of opinion is the right of every man, including Burdovsky, therefore. He can answer for his own absurdities. As for my protest on behalf of us all just now about the presence of your friends— I feel I should explain, ladies and gentlemen, that I protested solely in order to assert our rights, but that, in fact, we really do want to have witnesses, and all four of us agreed on that shortly before we came here. Whoever your witnesses may be, your friends, if you like, they cannot but acknowledge Burdovsky's claim, since it is obviously a matter of mathematical proof. It's even better that the witnesses should be your friends. The truth will be the plainer. It's true. We did so agree, confirmed Lebedev's nephew. Then why did you begin by raising such a clamor and fuss about it just now, if that's what you wanted? The prince asked in surprise. But about the article, prince, the boxer broke in, desperately keen to have his say and agreeably excited. It might have been suspected that the presence of the ladies was having a powerful and visible influence on him. About the article, well... I admit that I was the author, though my sick friend, for whom I usually make allowances on account of his condition, has just now criticized it so severely. But I wrote it and published it in the magazine of a sincere friend of mine in the form of a letter to the editor. It's just the poem that isn't really mine. It actually belongs to the pen of a well-known humorist. I only read it to Burdovsky, and not all of it at that. I got his permission to publish it at once— but after all, I could have published it without permission. Freedom of expression is a universal right, noble and salutary. I hope that you yourself, Prince, are progressive enough not to deny that. I'm not going to deny anything. But you must admit that in your article, I was harsh, you're going to say. But there's the matter of the public interest here, so to speak. You have to admit that. And in any case, a scandal like this can't be overlooked, can it? The public interest must be served, and so much the worse for the guilty. As for certain inexactitudes, hyperboles, as it were, you also have to agree that the initiative is what is most important, the aim and intention. The salutary example is important. Individual cases can be gone into later. Lastly, there's the question of style, the humorous form of the thing. And anyway, everybody writes like that, you have to admit. Ha! <laughs> You were on the wrong track altogether. I assure you, gentlemen, cried the prince. You published the article on the assumption that I would in no way agree to satisfy Mr. Burdovsky, so you would get back at me somehow by frightening me. But how could you know? Perhaps I had decided to satisfy Mr. Burdovsky. I now declare to you plainly, in front of everyone, that I will do so. Now, at last, we have wise and generous words from a wise and most generous man, proclaimed the boxer. Heavens, blurted Lizaveta Prokofievna. This is intolerable, muttered the general. Please, ladies and gentlemen, please, begged the prince. I will explain the matter. Five weeks ago, Chibarov, your authorized representative, Mr. Burdovsky, came to see me in Z. You have flattered him, rather, in your article, Mr. Keller. The prince turned to the boxer with an abrupt laugh. But I didn't take to him at all. I realized at once that this Chabarov was at the bottom of it all, and that perhaps it was he who had taken advantage of your simplicity, Mr. Burdovsky, to induce you to initiate the whole business, if I am to speak plainly. You've no right. I am not simple. This is... babbled Burdovsky nervously. You have no right at all to make any such assumptions, Lebedev's nephew interposed sententiously. It is in the highest degree offensive, squeaked Hippolyte. 
That assumption is offensive, false and irrelevant. I'm sorry, gentlemen, I'm sorry, the prince hastened to apologize. Please forgive me. It was because I thought it might be better for us to be absolutely frank with one another. But, as you wish, it's up to you. I told Chebarov that as I wasn't in Petersburg, I would immediately authorize a friend to deal with the matter, and that I would advise you in that regard, Mr. Bodovsky. I tell you frankly, gentlemen, that the whole thing seemed to me a complete swindle for the sole reason that Chebarov was involved. Oh, don't be offended, gentlemen, for heaven's sake, don't be offended, the prince exclaimed in alarm, seeing once again Bordovsky's outraged perturbation and the agitated protest of his friends. It couldn't relate to you personally if I said I regarded the thing as a swindle. I knew none of you personally at that time, did I? I didn't even know your names. I was just going by Chibarov. I was speaking in a general sense because, if you only knew how dreadfully I've been cheated since I received my legacy. Prince, you are terribly naive, remarked Lebedev's nephew sardonically. Nevertheless, a prince and a millionaire. You may possibly have a genuinely kind and simple heart, but of course that doesn't mean you can evade the general law, declared Hippolyte. Possibly, very possibly, gentlemen, the prince said hurriedly, though I don't understand what general law you're referring to. Still, I'll go on, as long as you don't take offense for no reason. I swear I haven't the slightest intention of offending you. And really, gentlemen, can't one say a single candid word without you immediately taking offense? Anyway, to start with, I was amazed that a son of Pavlishev existed, and in such an appalling situation as Chabarov described. Pavlishev was my benefactor and a friend of my father. Ah, why did you write such lies about my father in your article, Mr. Keller? There was no misappropriation of company funds and no abuse of subordinates. I'm absolutely convinced of that. How could your hand bring itself to write such a calumny? As for what you wrote about Pavlishev, that is altogether intolerable. You call that most noble of men lascivious and frivolous, with such boldness and assurance, as if you were really telling the truth, whereas of all men on earth he was the most virtuous. He was a remarkable scholar, too. He corresponded with many respected and learned persons and devoted a good deal of money to scholarly projects. As for his kindliness and his good works, oh, of course you were correct in writing that I was almost an idiot at that time and understood nothing, though I could speak and understand Russian. But now I can appreciate everything which I can remember now. Please, squeaked Hippolyte, isn't this getting rather too sentimental? We're not children. You wanted to come straight to the point, and it's after nine, remember? Certainly, by all means, gentlemen, the prince at once assented. After my initial skepticism, I decided that I might be wrong, and that Pavlishev might indeed have a son. But I was most astonished when that son was so blithely, I mean so publicly, ready to betray the secret of his birth, and above all disgrace his mother because Chabarov was already threatening me with public exposure at the time. That's stupid, cried Lebedev's nephew. You have no right, no right, shouted Burdovsky. The son is not responsible for the father's immorality, and the mother is innocent, squealed Hippolyte vehemently. The more reason there was to spare her, surely, said the prince timidly. Prince... You are not merely naive. You've gone some way beyond that, perhaps. Lebedev's nephew grinned malevolently. And what right had you? squealed Hippolyte in a most unnatural voice. None at all. None at all, the prince hastily put in. You're right about that, I admit. But I couldn't help it, and I immediately told myself at the time that my personal feelings ought not to influence me in the matter— for if I acknowledge that I was obliged to satisfy Mr. Bodovsky's demands because of my regard for Mr. Pavlishev, then I was bound to satisfy them come what may, that is, whether I respected Mr. Bodovsky or not. I only brought this up, gentlemen, because it seemed unnatural all the same that a son should betray his mother's secret so publicly. In short, that was what chiefly convinced me that Chebarov was a scoundrel and must have duped Mr. Bodovsky and put him up to the swindle himself. Well, 
that really is intolerable, came the cry from his visitors, some of whom even leapt up from their seats. Gentlemen, but that's just why I came to the conclusion that poor Mr. Burdovsky must be a simple, defenseless man, an easy prey to swindlers, therefore the more reason for me to help him as Pavlishev's son. In the first place, by thwarting Mr. Chabarov, secondly, by advising him in a conscientious and friendly manner, and thirdly, by giving him ten thousand roubles, which is all that Pavlishev could have spent on me, according to my calculations. What? Only ten thousand? cried Hippolyte. Well, Prince, your arithmetic's rather weak, or maybe a sight too strong, though you make yourself out to be a simpleton, exclaimed Lebedev's nephew. I won't accept ten thousand, said Burdovsky. Antip, accept it, prompted the boxer in a swift and audible whisper, bending over Hippolyte's chair from behind. Accept, and later on we'll see. Look here, Mr. Mishkin, squeaked Hippolyte. Please understand that we're not fools, not common fools, as no doubt all your guests and these ladies are thinking as they sneer so indignantly at us, and especially that fine gentleman, he indicated Radomsky, whom I have not, of course, the honor of knowing, though I believe I have heard something about him. Please, please, gentlemen, you misunderstand me again, the prince addressed them nervously. In the first place... You, Mr. Keller, estimated my fortune very inaccurately in your article. I never inherited any millions at all. I might have an eighth or tenth part of what you suppose. Secondly, no tens of thousands were spent on me in Switzerland. Schneider used to get six hundred a year, and that was only for the first three years. Pavlishev never went to Paris for pretty governesses. More calumny. In my opinion... The total spent on me altogether comes to much less than ten thousand, but I decided on ten thousand, and you will agree that in paying the debt I couldn't possibly offer Mr. Budovsky more, even if I were terribly fond of him. I couldn't do that, if only out of tact, just because I was paying a debt, not handing out charity. I fail to see why you don't understand that, gentlemen, but I intend to make all that up to him afterwards through my friendship and a practical interest in the future of this poor Mr. Budovsky, so plainly the victim of deception, because without being duped, he certainly couldn't have agreed to anything as shabby as this disclosure about his mother, for instance, in Mr. Keller's article. But why on earth all the excitement again, gentlemen? We shall never understand one another at this rate, shall we? I was right about it, wasn't I? I can see now with my own eyes that my guess was correct, the prince urged excitedly thinking to allay their agitation and failing to notice that he was only increasing it. What? Right about what? they demanded, almost frenzied. Well, for goodness sake, in the first place, I've had time to study Mr. Burdovsky myself. I can see now the sort of man he is. He's an innocent person being deceived by everyone, a defenseless man, and that's precisely why I must show him mercy. Secondly, Gavrila Adolyonovich, to whom the matter was entrusted, and from whom I have heard nothing for a long time as I was traveling and then taken ill for three days in Petersburg, told me when we met an hour ago that he had got to the bottom of all Chabarov's schemes and has proof that Chabarov is exactly the person I thought him to be. I know, gentlemen, that many people do regard me as an idiot. Chabarov counted on my reputation as one easily parted from his money, and thought he could cheat me with ease by playing on my feelings towards Pavlishev. What matters, though, now, gentlemen, please hear me out, hear me out. What matters is that it now turns out that Mr. Budovsky is not Pavlishev's son at all. Gavrila Ardalyonovich has just informed me of this and assures me that he has positive proof. Well, what do you think of that? It's incredible, after all that's been done. And positive proof, mind you. I still can't believe it myself, I assure you. I still can't believe it because Gavrila Ardalyonovich hasn't had time to inform me of all the details yet. But there's not the slightest doubt now that Chebarov is a rogue. He has duped Mr. Burdovsky and all of you gentlemen who have come here so nobly in support of your friend. A support he badly needs, as I understand only too well. He has duped you all and involved you all in a case of fraud. 
because that's what it amounts to, essentially, obtaining money by false pretenses. Fraud? Not Pavlishev's son. How can that be? The exclamations came from all sides. The entire Burdovsky group was utterly dismayed. But of course it's fraud. If Mr. Budovsky turns out not to be Pavlishev's son, his demands must constitute plain fraud. If he knew the truth, of course, that is. But that's the whole point, isn't it? He's been imposed upon. That's why I'm insisting his name be cleared. That's why I repeat that he deserves sympathy for his naivety and must not be left without support, otherwise he will also be implicated as a swindler in this affair. You know... I'm already convinced he doesn't understand a thing. I was in the same state before I went to Switzerland, babbling incoherent words, trying to get something out and not being able to. I understand that. I can sympathize intensely, because I'm virtually the same myself. I am entitled to pronounce on that. Anyway, although there's no such person as Pavlishev's son, and the whole thing is nothing but a hoax, nevertheless, I'm not altering my decision. I'm prepared to return the ten thousand in memory of Pavlishev. Before, Mr. Budovsky, I had wanted to use the ten thousand on a school in memory of Pavlishev. But it will be the same either way. Because if Mr. Budovsky isn't Pavlishev's son, he's almost Pavlishev's son. He has been wickedly deceived himself, and he generally thought he was Pavlishev's son. Do listen to what Gavrila Ardalionovich has to say, and we can put an end to all this. Don't be angry. Don't excite yourselves. Just sit down. Gavrila Ardalionovich will now tell us all about it, and I admit that I'm extremely keen to hear all the details myself. He tells me, Mr. Budovsky, that he even traveled to Pskov to see your mother, who was far from being dead, as you were made to write in the article. Sit down, gentlemen. Do sit down. The prince seated himself, and once more managed to get Mr. Budovsky's company to do the same after they had started from their places. For the last ten or twenty minutes he had been talking loudly and fervently, rattling along impatiently, carried away indeed, trying to talk or shout everyone down. Afterwards, of course, he was bound to regret some of the words and phrases he had blurted out. If he hadn't been roused and his patience tried almost beyond bearing, he wouldn't have permitted himself to utter certain of his conjectures so flatly and hastily, or indulge in needless plain speaking. But one poignant pang of regret pierced his heart as soon as he had sat down. Apart from having offended Burdovsky, of course, by so openly suggesting he had the same illness from which he himself had been cured in Switzerland, apart from that, his offer of ten thousand instead of the school had been made crudely and tactlessly in his opinion, as if it had been charity, particularly in view of it having been spoken aloud in front of other people. I should have waited and made the offer tomorrow when we were alone, thought the prince at once. But there's no help for it now. Yes, I'm an idiot, a real idiot, he decided to himself in an access of shame and distress. Meanwhile, Gavrile Adolyonovich, up to now stubbornly silent and aloof, moved forward at the prince's invitation and, standing by his side, began giving a calm and lucid account of the affair entrusted to him by the prince. All conversation ceased at once. Everyone listened with rapt curiosity, especially Burdovsky's company.
je suis une femme blues I'm a blues woman I'm 